Good morning again, everyone, and welcome to In Town. If you're new or visiting with us this morning, uh, we've been going through or we started a series during the season of Advent, looking at the physical space that we inhabit, our physical places through the lens of the incarnation of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to do that through our Lesson 5, Malachi 3, so you can follow along with me in your bulletin. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, come again this morning in our midst, in our presence, come to our place of worship, and would you find your ways into the places that we inhabit, our workplaces, where we go to school, our homes, our neighborhoods, in fact, our whole city. Lord, we pray that your presence would be invited and welcomed that you would be present, that your blessings, that your gospel, that your salvation would descend upon us and rest upon us. And let us take time this Advent season to stop, to reflect, to look around, to observe the places that you have placed us and to see where we may miss seeing you, where you may already be present that we are not acknowledging. Lord, I pray that you would, through this passage, help us to see our homes, and our places as a place where you want to reside, and in fact already do. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we look at this passage together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So many TV shows in the recent past have made such a use of place that the location, the setting itself, becomes a character in and of itself. So, for instance, think of The Wire without the city of Baltimore. Could it have been the same show? Could Breaking Bad have been set anywhere else, anywhere other than New Mexico? Fargo, Portlandia, are entire series about a specific place and its characteristics. And Louisiana, it was such an important character in the first True Detective series that many critics and many fans panned the entire second season primarily because the location didn't fit the story or didn't fit the ambiance that they had grown to expect from the first, that and because the story wasn't as good. We're in a series called No Home Like Place, 
Because in daily life, the places that we inhabit are important characters in the story of our lives. The natural, built, relational environments that we inhabit shape us, and we in turn shape them. What we celebrate in Advent, the incarnation, tells us that these are the places where we meet, where we interact with God Himself. Now, in the Reformed theological tradition of which in town is a part, we generally have emphasized an understanding of sacredness that's detached from physical locations. And indeed, we need to assert that God can't be confined to any specific place, that He is omnipresent, that He is expansive and everywhere. And we, but we need to assert also that encountering God in particular places, far from limiting and confining God to those places, means that we can expect to encounter Him in any and all places. Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar I quoted last week and will probably quote a lot during this series because he's made uh, his career about talking about the land of Israel, talking about place as a central motif in the entire Bible. And he says this, in the Old Testament, there's no timeless space, but there is also no spaceless time. There is rather storied place. That is a place which has meaning because of the history that is lodged there. There are stories which have authority because they are located in a place. This means that biblical faith cannot be presented simply as a movement indifferent to place which could have happened in one setting as well as another because it is undeniably fixed in this place with this meaning. And for all its apparent spiritualizing, the New Testament does not escape this rootage. And we want to move into the New Testament. We want to move into the incarnation and because we are in this season of Advent. But our passage this morning is a very important backdrop to what becomes the incarnation, to what we celebrate in Advent, that God resided with His people in a temple, in a physical location. And we jumped into Malachi in chapter 3. So there's a little bit of background that we need to pick up on. And this is a later book in the Old Testament. This is a prophet who is speaking to Israel, in particularly the people of Judah, which is a subdivision of Israel. And they are not displaced people like we met Israel in our sermon last week or in our passage, but they are placed. They have been rerooted in their ancestral land. They have come back from exile and they have rebuilt a temple. And so we're in a very different context now. They're in their ancestral land, but a spiritual apathy has set in. There's been this slow abrasion of faith in the nation of Israel. They've lost contact with the living God. And the section that we read really fits into a, a, larger, small, a larger subsection of Malachi that began in 2.17, and they began to ask, where is justice? And commentators have argued that this is addressing the problem of theodicy. That is, why do good things happen, or why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? But you see, that's a question that faithful people ask in times of distress. And at this point in Israel's history, they're anything but faithful. You see, they're not perplexed by their suffering as if God is ignoring their obedient lives. They're not convinced that they need to obey at all or that God is present 
in their daily lives. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you've stepped into this Advent celebration, into this church from the outside by chance or by invitation, and maybe you're not convinced that God really has to do with your daily life, that maybe He exists somewhere out there, maybe there's a higher power sort of idea, but in terms of the nitty-gritty of your daily life, you could go about it without the concept of God. And this is really where Israel, the children of God, found themselves at this point. And what does God tell them? He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare a way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. When he says the one that you are seeking, the one whom you desire, it isn't a commendation of their devotion. It's ironic. Seeking, delighting in God is exactly what they're not doing. And Malachi, the writer of this book, is pointing that out. So, the, so God promises to send this messenger, this coming enigmatic figure throughout the Old Testament who will take up residence where? In the temple, in a very specific place. And this messenger, who many consider a theophany, that is, an appearance of Jesus before he takes bodily form, will signal a day in which no one will be able to stand, no one will be able to endure on their own. Verse 2, it will come and he will be, the messenger will be a refiner's fire. He will be like a launderer's soap, which is used to cleanse and to wash. First of all, for who? For the Levites, the priests, those who were specifically tasked to carry out God's mission of the Israelites mediating the presence of God to the lost and to the least, that they will be the first to encounter this refiner's fire, this launderer's soap. And then all of Judah, all of Israel will be judged. You see, it's not, first of all, the religious people, irreligious people out there, the bad people in Israel's mind, but it's the people who carry God's name in name only, the formerly religious you see, God meant for the, Le- the Levites, for all of Israel, to bring His healing reign, His healing presence upon the earth, to be a thin place. This is what Celtic Christians have used to talk about those rare places where the distance between heaven and earth collapse, that Israel was meant to be that sort of mediating presence, a thin place where God's presence came and was present in a place, in a location. Heaven, God's presence, God's justice will break through, not in disembodied, spiritualized ways, but in real, local, concrete places, in this case, the temple. Now then notice the sins listed here. With the possible exception of sorcery, all of the things listed are social evils. They're examples of God, God's people, failing to care for the weak and the vulnerable. God's priest failing to care for the lost and the least, to carry out God's desire to bring a piece of heaven to earth in a specific location. And what God tells them is, despite your unfaithfulness, basically, I'm coming anyway. I'm going to elbow my way into your midst because I want to bring my presence to bear upon that little 
part, portion of the world at this point. Verse 1, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. He will come, he will elbow his way in and be present in spite of the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. You see, the Bible tells us that God is revealed, not just anywhere, but always somewhere. He's revealed in creation, and then a garden, and then a burning bush, and then Mount Sinai, and then the tabernacle, and then the temple, and the land, and in the case of Israel, in an entire nation that He has made present in places. But if we see But we see that throughout history, the people of Israel, the very people who had received the gift of God in their midst, we see them turning away from Him and using the signs of God's physical presence restrictively and often oppressively and not using the sign of His presence to care for the lost and the least and the weak and the vulnerable. And so we see this recurring lament throughout the prophets and throughout much of the Old Testament that Malachi picks up here in verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you failed to be and to represent my healing presence on the earth. So there's this menacing prospect that the holy God of justice will exert himself in their presence, that he will show up suddenly in their midst as a fire as a refining fire. And the chosen people, and not even His chosen people, no one will be able to endure His presence. Verse 2, who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For His presence will be like a refiner's fire. When God shows up, even His chosen people cannot stand on their own power. They cannot stand in their own merit. They can't endure His holy presence. And so, all of us this morning, Christian or not, we need to wrestle with the fact that all of our claims of righteousness, of fitness, however we define that, however we build it up in our own lives, in our own communities, much less our excuses for indifference to the needs around us and unbelief, all of these things will be unavailing on that day in the presence of that fire. Unless, unless God comes not only as fire, menacing fire, but also as Redeemer. Unless He comes not only to correct His people, but also to save them. Unless God is not only a God of justice, but also a God of love and mercy. Verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not consumed. And this is a, a very typical way that our translators have translated this uh, particular sentence because the Hebrew word at the end, kalah, is a very difficult word and it depends on context and the, the, the mood and the tense and so forth to figure out. But Joyce Baldwin, who is a respected or was a respected Old Testament commentator, says, are not destroyed or are not consumed is possible, but it probably is not the best translation. And what she suggests is that verse 6 is not, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Instead, I am the Lord unchanging, and you too have not ceased to be sons 
of Jacob. Do you see what she's saying? Do you see what that, that slight little difference conveys? Is that, in other words, even in your worst moments, you are not rejected. Even in your worst moments, you have not exceeded the boundaries of God's love. His covenant, His promises prevail against even your worst attempts to outrun them and to get out from under them. And because of that, God presses through Israel's history to fulfill His purpose for love in the world in a way that no one would have expected. He shows up in His temple, not in a demonstration of power, not in coercion, but in weakness, in surrender, and eventually in His own crucifixion. As we saw last week, His unchanging covenant takes place from garden, then to temple, tabernacle, then to land, then the temple, and that Jesus Himself becomes everything that those things pointed to. He becomes the true and final temple, that Jesus says that He is the true tabernacle, that He is the true temple that God takes up residence in. The God of all creation is located in this crucified Jew from Nazareth of all places. You see, God chooses always to be revealed in a place and then ultimately a place as specific as a human being. Jesus becomes this ultimate thin place, fulfilling what the temple pointed to, mediating the presence of God in human form on the earth. And God binds Himself to you when you are in Christ to your places, and He wants to make them thin places. He wants to make your life a thin place that mediates, that resonates the presence of God, the healing presence of God that loves the lost and the least and seeks to bring them in to that presence of God. He binds Himself to you in your relationships, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, and yes, to our city, that He binds this church to be a thin place, to mediate His presence to our city. The church is called the body of Christ, and therefore when we pray each and every week in the Lord's Prayer, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer to be that the church would be a thin place as well. During an investigation in True Detective, Russ Cole, the kind of resonant, um, you know, self-taught philosopher, he comments on a small Louisiana town, and he says, this place is like somebody's memory of a town, and the memory is fading. Many of us are here in Portland because we've had that sort of ache about our own town, our own place, and we've taken up residence here in a very intentional way. We had a desire to leave where we were and to do something different, to live somewhere different. And so you understand the importance of place. But when you moved here, did it solve all of your anxieties? Did it solve all of those inner stirrings? Did it answer all of your existential questions about life? Probably not, because you see, you can move your location, but you bring your anxieties, you bring your idiosyncrasies, your dysfunctions. You bring all of that with you. All of your baggage comes along. And so maybe you've arrived at your ultimate place, your ultimate physical location, but you're still searching, you're still longing 
Is Portland, is any place enough? You see, place is critically important. It is indeed where you meet God, in your places, in your relationships. But the Israelites had the temple. They had the right place, but they didn't have God. It took him taking up residence in their lives to make those places that they inhabited, to make their lives sacred. And he incarnated, God incarnated his mercy and grace in the incarnation. That's what we celebrate in Advent, that God chooses to take up residence in the person of his Son. And we, when we receive him, our spaces Our places become sacred spaces and sacred places. In fact, holy ground. And therefore, our daily tasks take up sacramental significance. They're all very important. Paul is talking uh, to unbelievers in Acts 17, and he tells them that this sign that they have made to an unknown God, that he knows that God, that he's representing that God to them. And he says this, he says, from one man he made all the nations, that is God, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands or the boundaries of their places. You see, understanding how the Bible talks about place roots your places, your present context as a dwelling place of divine purpose that's alive with the presence of God, that is very important. It says God has marked out your history. God has marked out the boundary of your place, and that's where he seeks to be present with you and for you. Even when we live somewhere great, we can still be deeply unhappy. Even when we get the job we want, when our workplace is where we want to be, when we get into the school we want, when we get into the relationship we want, we can still be deeply unhappy if God is not in those places. In fact, if Jesus is not incarnated into your life, we're still striving, looking for what's next. We're always negotiating for the next house, the next relationship, the next church, the next space to inhabit, the next friends. And what happens when we're constantly anxious like that is that we fail to care for the people and the places that we live in and amongst now. We fail to notice the presence of God in our present places. You see, maybe the great things I desire are not to be sought elsewhere, but maybe God is wanting to make beauty from ashes in my own backyard in our own backyard as a church, my own neighborhood, my present places. True Detective takes place in Louisiana, and throughout the first season's progression, the show's location comes alive in such a way that it's no longer simply the setting of the show, but it's an integral character in the overall narrative. And an understanding of how the Bible talks about place that God takes up residence in His Son Jesus can help us to recognize the context in which God has located us, me, this church, you, is providential, that He is in that, and He wants to meet you there. That in fact, our now, our present location isn't long any longer an insignificant place of 
simply transitioning, wondering, moving to the next thing, the better thing, but that God has written our story, our place as a character in our story, not to fade as a memory, but to be sought and redeemed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that we would see You in our places, that we would in any way that is possible and in ways that are impossible by our own strength alone, Lord, that You would take up resonance, that we who know You, we who name the name of Jesus, would become thin places on His behalf. And Lord, I pray that as people walk into this room, as people walk into our community groups and the places that we gather, that your presence, that your joy, your aroma would be so clearly evident that people would ask, how can I get a piece of that? How can I reside in this place? Father, wherever we're coming from this morning, believing or not, happy or sad, strong or weak, I pray that you would take up residence in our place and that you would make it your home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.